I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Hey, 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 folks. What should I say? Hey, y'all. You know how it goes. So extremely excited today because I'm always excited, aren't I? Why would I not be? This is what I do. I love this. I have a fellow podcaster in the house today, and I love talking to other podcasters. We have already just having a whole chat that y'all missed, but that's for us. I have Dahlia Kinsey coming to us from Georgia today. We I did do that Georgia, them peaches. And Dahlia is just really awesome. I, I'm going to let her tell it because y'all know nobody can tell your story like you tell your story. So Dahlia, hello. How is it going? Hey, I'm doing well. Your accent is very convincing. I felt like you were... Yeah, you're right here beside me here in Georgia. I was super excited to hear about your show since we came across each other in a podcasting group because there were not resources like this available when I was younger and basically surrounded by people who were just not at all interested in secondary education of any kind. Mm. So I was like, oh, this is great. This is something that a lot of people need. And I know my story might be a little different from others, but there are people all over the place who want to study or who want to do more than maybe is customary in their house or in their community that would benefit from hearing that it can be done, whether or not there's somebody there to model it for you. You can do whatever you can imagine for yourself. I'm still going to look and let me go back and say, you know, thank you for reaching out because I know it was really interesting when I, I did see that thread. I'm like, I never think about just putting it out there. Hey, does anybody want to be on the podcast? And so that was really interesting. And to get a, such a unique group of individuals to respond and to connect and, and then to connect with you. And I know we've talked before and to hear some of your story, which I'm really excited about you sharing with the group is is really fascinating and it's exciting. So thank you for being here and for, like I said, putting yourself out there. Really cool stuff. And I love to meet other female podcasters, especially women of color. Absolutely. Because we got to get out of here. We got to do what we got to do for the people that need us. And I say that because we know that there are always barriers to entry. And, you know, the more intersections you have, sometimes it seems like the harder it is to get ahead in what you're doing. But to know that we're all finding our voices in our respective fields is really, you know, it's outstanding. So right. good stuff. And the way you said it sounds convincing. I lived in Mississippi for six and a half years. Okay. So <laughs> I'm honorary. You nailed it. I'm, yeah, I'm honorary deep south. Honorary. Well, honorary. it's funny. People always, well, at least growing up, people always ask me where I was from. People who are from here do not think I sound Southern enough, but when I go any place, you don't. People are like, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> so I had an interesting upbringing since my mom, she's half Cuban, half Jamaican, and my dad is from mm-hmm. the South for generations. And we all know how we got here kidnapped, crimes against humanity, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but because of her accent, I 
feel like I never really took on the local accent. I think whoever teaches you how to speak, that's probably who you're going to speak like. So my parents were big on reading and literacy, but more so for religious study than anything else. And Hmm. that's a big deal, you know, in Protestant religions that you have your direct relationship with God generally is the focus. So you want to be able to read scripture yourself. So they were big on making sure we were literate. We could all read before we got to kindergarten, which was not common in our neighborhood because we were in a lower income neighborhood. Hmm. So we always performed well in school because of that strong background with reading and reading comprehension. But because my parents are so religious, they feel that focusing on secular things too much, like education, can only be a detriment to your relationship with spiritual things. So going to college was always discouraged. It was seen as the beginning of the end of your religious life and your life should be spent volunteering and your entire purpose for existence is to, you know, give all the glory to God, which I know plenty of people who believe that and go to college. But in the little group that I was raised in, those two concepts were not compatible. Hmm. This is, again, so interesting that they really pushed you to read, to learn, to comprehend, to be educated, and yet weren't necessarily fans of education. Right. <laughs> and I and I think, again, so fascinating that it pushed you, though, to want to go to college and to want to get out of your neighborhood and your community. And then to say you were in a low ACS environment is even more fascinating because oftentimes parents don't have time to push that agenda for their children because they're working, trying to provide and create a better life. And that's not something that takes priority. So very interesting dynamic to even hear how then did you have the conversation about going to college? What was it that happened when you decided that you were going to go off to school? I did not have the backbone to mention that that was something I wanted to do because I didn't want to sound like a heretic or anything or like I just was on the decline spiritually because it would have actually raised a flag. People would have been alarmed for me in the religious group that I was raised in. People would have been genuinely concerned. Like she must be spiritually sick if she is considering using her life pursuing secular things. People would have been very concerned. So Mm. I just wanted it and didn't say anything. My parents told all of us when we were younger, maybe like a couple of years before finishing high school, they reinforced it. If you are not going to be volunteering full time with the church when you graduate, you have to move out. So that basically meant I didn't have anyone to talk to me about scholarships or how I would pay for school. And I wasn't going to have any help from my parents to pay for school. And I wouldn't have a place to stay if I decided to do that. So I figured it probably just wasn't going to happen for me, but it was always in the back of my mind. And I was envious of people who were going to have that leg up in the workforce, knowing that I could outperform them academically. Like I finished, I want to say fourth in my class, but at the time I didn't think that was significant because my sister finished first and hers, she didn't go to college either. And I don't know if the counselors didn't talk to me about college because 
they remembered my sister and figured, oh, well, they're super religious. None of these kids are going to be going to college. Or if they didn't talk to me about college because I was a person of color. And in my town, it could have been either one. It's a small enough of a town to where sometimes you're treated differently because people know your family and they're making assumptions based on actual things they know about your family. And it's also, you know, it's better now, I think. I don't know. I'm not in high school anymore. I'm assuming it's better. I hope it's better. But I know the last year of school, instead of doing AP classes, I took classes at the college, but it was part of my public schooling. So it was just my senior year. So my parents said, no problem. You know, you, mm-hmm. we want you to finish high school. So do whatever you want. If you don't want to do AP classes, take the classes at the community college, no problem. And I would walk from high school to the college. They were literally across the street from each other. This town is very small. <laughs> it's a four-year college now, but then it was a community college. But when I would come back onto the campus, almost every day, a teacher would try and stop me because they thought I was an adult. They didn't recognize Oh, So how could I be fourth in the class? It wasn't a huge school, but it wasn't... They should have known who I was. And they knew all of the white males with the same grades as me or worse and thought of them as up-and-comers and people they need to support because they have all this academic potential. But I was invisible. I'm like, I'm literally finishing my senior year at the college because I'm done with public school. I'm so far ahead and you people still don't recognize me. And I never moved. I'd been in the same high school the whole time. So so how did that end up impacting or, or influencing or changing, whichever word you choose, how you ended up navigating adulthood? Because here you are, somebody who's had all this challenge at home between you know religion and your identity, who you wanted to be, what people thought you should be. And then you have the other part of your community, not necessarily validating you either. And then you go on to college and not traditional of a route that you took as well. So, you know, do want to touch on that. How did you shape your identity? How did you validate validate yourself and and find your space because it seems to me like you had a lot of rejection, you know, in, in some sense. A lot. And sometimes it took years to register. And I will say one of the best things I think I got out of college was it was the first time that I sought out any kind of counseling. And I hope that people who are going to school take advantage of the mental health services that they have on campus. Because for a lot of kids, depending on what background you came from. It could be a cultural thing that your family doesn't do therapy. It could be a money thing that you've never gotten to talk about your feelings with an objective person who's there just to help you develop in a way that's best for you with no ulterior motive. Going to therapy at school and then continuing that afterwards for a little while once I started working and I graduated was the only time I really processed that. It's overwhelming for a child or a teenager to deal with that amount of rejection when what all humans want is to feel like you're part of a tribe or community and to feel like you don't belong anywhere because you're part of a religious group that segregates you from other people because they're non-believers. And then to kind of start moving away from that group, you literally have no community 
at all. It's a difficult transition to go through, but I will say it taught me that even though it's natural to desire community and to want to feel like your social life is harmonious and your family life is harmonious, it is not a necessity and not having that will not break you and you can learn to self-validate and looking for external validation, while that is a normal initial thing that you do, that is not always the best thing because sometimes the path that you want to take will not match that of those around you. And it is okay for you to live your life for yourself. And that validation may never come, but you can also do that for yourself. I think that was a lot for you to say because I think one of the things of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that it's belonging is something that's important. But I think you hit the nail on the head in a way that it's how you belong that matters. Yeah. You don't just want to belong to anyone and to any space. You want to belong to a community. But I think it's important that we mm. learn how to belong to ourselves, too. It's really cool that you put it out there that way, because sometimes, especially, you know, as first gens and especially first gens when we come backgrounds, we have a tendency to need to be validated in ways that the world can't validate us the way that we have to sometimes work on validating ourselves. But it doesn't mean it's not possible to say, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to find the community. I had a conversation with someone recently on in an interview, and we did talk about the idea of it's okay to have the affirmation. And we need that. If you need that, know that you need it. But it's okay to not have it as well, because through time, you learn that you are enough. And the affirmation from others is like icing on the cake. Mm. So cool perspective to hear. Tell us a little bit about your non-traditional path to pursue an education because you didn't go to school right away, right? Right. So I finished high school in 2000 and I did not finish my bachelor's until 2012. So there was a big gap there. But in Georgia, I feel like the timing, everything kind of fell into place. And now I can see that even though it wasn't always easy, that I, in a lot of ways, was very fortunate. So by the time I went to school, I'd had a lot of work experience and I was very motivated to finish because there were plenty of times that the only thing in between me and the position I wanted was my bachelor's. So I didn't party in college. I just studied and worked full time. I had to commute from my house. I live south of Atlanta. So anyone who's been to Atlanta knows Atlanta traffic is bananas. I went to Georgia State, which is downtown Atlanta. And my job ended up being on the opposite end of the city. So it was like an hour and a half to work, 45 minutes back down to university, 45 minutes back up to work. And then at the end of the day, an hour and a half back home. But that job always worked with me with my schedule. It didn't matter that my schedule changed literally every semester. And when I pursued a job related to my degree, which is in nutrition and dietetics, I was able to be transparent with them and tell them I'm looking. I even was able to ask them, like, what do you think? That was a nice thing, too. I was always raised to believe that people who were outside of my religion, an unbeliever, like they were all not supportive. They might be out to get you like you can't trust anybody. But the way other women rallied for me and were there to support me 
with no no motivation just because it felt right to them maybe that's just how they are and everyone has seen that like people naturally want to help other people because we are communal animals so of course there are people who do ugly things but it's also equally human and natural to help people just for the sake of helping people. So that HR director was very understanding and said, yes, I think you should move on to this other position because of the other opportunities it could lead to for you. So to be a dietitian, you have to get at least a bachelor's degree. That standard is changing. It's going to be a master's is going to be a minimum within a few years. But at the time, that was the requirement. And then you had to do about 1200 hours of supervised practice with an accredited program and then sit for the national exam. For most people that meant you had to not work for about a year or nine months to do the internship. So working at the health department at the time, they had an internship program, but you weren't qualified to apply until you had worked with them for at least a year. And then you had to commit to working with them for about two years after you finished the internship. So I took a pay cut to take that position with the help and support and guidance of the previous job and was able to get into the internship program. So I finished school with zero student loans and they gave me a lot of good advice about making sacrifice in the present tense for a future opportunity because I know so many people who are weighed down with student debt and a lot of dietitians who had to take on even more debt to do the internship. So even though I took a pay cut to take the job at the public health department, it led to a fabulous opportunity. And even when I saw jobs posted for dietitians, they all required a year of experience. And I was thinking, how do you get that year if every job asks for you to have a year? But doing the internship with the health department, I didn't have to worry about a gap in employment. I had a job as soon as I passed the exam and was considered a registered dietitian. I continued working with the same district I was in and it was seamless. So even though the process was not typical, in a lot of ways, I see I came out a little ahead of other people who went to school right out of high school and decided to be dietitians and then had to take on loan after loan after loan. So I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I want to jump into a little bit of what you do now. So we know it's around nutrition and your dietitian, but can you tell us explicitly what you're doing with your life and, and what intrigued you to take the route that you've taken? I'm working with a school system now and I didn't know I wanted to work with public schools until my internship. So I thought I wanted to serve women and children basically people who aren't being served adequately by healthcare. But after I worked with the WIC program for a while, I realized it wasn't the perfect fit. And when I did the internship, I did a clinical rotation and I did time at the hospital, time at dialysis centers. But my favorite rotation was with a school system. I felt like I could have the greatest impact 
at that point because really the National School Lunch Program is like the largest wellness program we have in this country. Almost all children participate in this program. And even if you don't remember anything special about school lunch, you probably did eat it. You probably once or twice got some nutrition related messaging while you're in school. And they're doing a better job now, I think, of really making an impact. I think more kids will remember us than, you know, we remember the people who fed us. That's really interesting to me. I had free lunch when I was going to school and I was talking to my husband recently. We talked about things we love eating when we were kids and I used to get the salads, the tuna salads, but oh, I love the French fries and the ranch dressing. It's one of my favorite things, but you don't ever think that there's somebody behind that meal who's thinking about your well-being. Yeah, it's funny. You forget about them. Like, I'm just going to eat. Like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the food. (laughs) And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing today. So I think that that's very cool. What is your hope for the future when you think about nutrition? And what do you wish people knew? Like, everybody knew about nutrition and, and, you know, being even a dietitian. Just that one thing that you could tell folks that this is important. You should know this. That how you eat really can affect your performance. And in an academic setting, that can make a huge difference for children that don't have a leg up in this world. So if you are a child who doesn't get all the calories you need, that can contribute to setting you back for your entire life. It's just like if you don't know how to read by third grade, you're kind of screwed because almost all instruction from that point onward will be based on your ability to read. So that's a gap we have to close. But in addition to that, if you come to school every day hungry because you don't have adults in your life that make sure you get to eat at night or make sure you get to eat in the morning if you're hungry, you are going to have a harder time learning than your peers. So it may look like, oh, kids from this community, they just don't perform. They must naturally be stupid. Not the case. Any human under those circumstances will have difficulty performing. And on top of that, you think about implicit bias and people treating you different from other students. That also affects your academic performance. So I just want for people who are trying to help children that you know need a boost Look at things in a holistic way. There's so many things that can affect academic performance and a hungry mind isn't able to learn. Mm. I forgot what the other question was. <laughs> what do you wish people would know about health and, and more so from the nutrition, being a dietitian, what do you wish people would just know? And it sounds like you almost answered a little bit too, just what you eat is important and matters. That is true. But I also wish, especially adults understood that Dieting is not healthful. It is never health promoting. Restrictive eating can only do you harm. If you give yourself enough time to eat and if you give yourself unconditional permission to eat, you can trust your body to tell you when you've had enough. And if the body that you live in after you've done that for a considerable amount of time is deemed unacceptable by society, then you need to work on not listening to the messaging society is sending you about your body because your body is acceptable. All bodies are fine. And we eat to make ourselves feel 
energetic, to give our brains the fuel that they need to perform. But in the end, it's for you because this is your life. And anyone or any program that tells you that beating your body into submission is the solution to get you to have a socially acceptable body, you just need to shut that down. That's trash. Agreed. (laughs) And, you know, I think so often, you know, especially now we're in this stage of body positivity and that wasn't a word or a thought or a phrase or anything years ago where we were more convincing or more supportive of this is your body. This is yours. It's what you were given. It's going to look different. It's going to function different to embrace it and not have to think that you need to look like the, the woman on the magazine. So I think that that's really cool that you do the work that you do and that you're also empowering as well. And at that point, I'm curious to know more about your podcast too, if you can tell us about that. So the name of my podcast is School Nutrition Dietitian. My target audience for the most part are other people working in school nutrition. So cafeteria workers and also the dietitians that work with them and the directors that work with them. And some episodes are targeted to parents as well. I don't think that it's really well understood that school meals have been evolving and that the purpose of the program always was to take care of malnourished kids in this country. So even though the school lunch program kind of has a bad reputation, (laughs) we've been making a lot of progress and I'm not sure I believe it was ever that bad. There were different times in my life when I was on free lunch for a little while and then we went to reduce. I think we were paid for a couple of years, but it made a huge difference in my life that that food was there. And we were also enrolled in the WIC program. I don't think everyone remembers how much good it has done and how many kids have been fed and been able to study and able to learn and are now thriving as adults because of it. Mm, That's something to think about. I like that. And I also want for people who work with kids who give them messages about food to remember, I know you want to help the kids. However, focusing on body size is an absolute no-no. We're focusing on food is fun, moving your body is enjoyable, it feels good, it's a natural part of life. Try a variety of foods, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. It's tricky because you're not allowed to take a break for lunch whenever you want. And I'm not sure I believe we're gonna see that change in our lifetime. But I think that's one of the main reasons why Americans feel so out of control in terms of food is that we don't prioritize eating And in a lot of environments, school and at work, you can't eat when you're hungry. So you just get it in when you can, you woof it down, you don't even chew, you don't know when you're full. You just have this stressful relationship around food because you don't have enough autonomy around it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And then the other thing is how we learn to process our feelings and celebrate and then everything involves food. Yeah. And so even what we understand about food isn't always nutrition as much as is, oh, I'm happy. Let's go eat. Oh, I'm having a hard day. Let's go get some ice cream. Oh, someone's having a baby. Let's go celebrate. Let's go out to eat. And so eating is 
you know, something I've had to learn how to do differently, even in my in my older age. <laughs> but I say that because, I mean, for me, it's am I eating because I'm really hungry and I want this as a nutritional thing or is it because I'm doing this as it's related to a feeling and that's just because it's what I grew up knowing to do. Right. Everything that's a celebration, we celebrate with food, but I think it's an American thing too. Absolutely. But I have noticed people who, and I don't even know how parents manage to do this. I don't know if this is just a coincidence that some kids are resistant to what's in their environment and they're just like, I'm going to do me no matter what. There are people who seem to have no issues around food. And sometimes they eat when they're not hungry. Sometimes they eat to celebrate. And then they don't. It's like what you do every now and then will have almost no impact on your health. It's patterns. But it's when we feel like, oh, um, this is a special food for special occasions and I can only have it in small amounts. Once the cake appears, you lose your freaking mind. So you cannot eat it in moderation and you can't stop when you can't even taste it anymore. Because you know you can only taste cake at the beginning. After you really get in there and you're on your third piece, you can't taste it. Not like you did in that first bite. That's something to think about, but you know it's good, so you keep eating because you know it's good. And you're like, I don't know when I can have this again. Man, it's some good cake. I'm going to eat this yeah. cake. All right, it's some good fried fish. I'm going to eat this fish. That's how yes. I feel about barbecue and fried catfish and fried chicken. Yes. Like, Ugh, that I just want it. <laughs> I just want it all, right? And I'm going to yeah. eat it. That is interesting. Well, look, we are getting to a point where we're wrapping it up and I'm just again so grateful for the wealth of knowledge that you shared and for such an eclectic experience for me to hear from the religious aspect to you healing to you finding your freedom and to you really blossoming even as somebody who's podcasting you know looking into the entrepreneurial thing it's just great to know that in spite of what you've been through you're still standing and you're still making your way and doing it on your own terms seems like something that you've been doing for a long time because you did go against the grain there friend <laughs> but um, thinking about, you know, what's next or just, just life in itself, things you've learned, what would you want to share with us for us to keep with us for the rest of our life? I really think life is happening for you. It's not happening to you. And when you're in the middle of a hard time, you can't see how this experience could ever possibly serve you. And it is fine not to be able to see that in the moment, but just know that in the end, you are the sun of your experiences. And you don't even have to make a point of handling everything well. You know, you just make it through it in one piece. You know that tomorrow will be different. It might be better. Maybe it won't. But just keep on hanging in there and things are going to eventually change. And once you survive a rough patch, you will be stronger and you'll be better off for it. And it may develop Mm. you in just the right way for an amazing experience down the road. Yeah, I'll take all that. All of that. (laughs) All of that, Dahlia. All of that. Well, you are fantastic and the first nutritionist, you know, dietitian that I've had on this show. Oh, yeah. And it's really exciting. Like maybe we can, you know, do another round eventually and think different about, you know, making healthy choices, especially as first gens, especially as low income first gens who come from backgrounds where, you know, you get what you get and you eat what you eat. And, you know, from a african-american perspective and, and then you know you even have the the caribbean spin there too is that 
you eat what's affordable and soul food is not always the best food, but it's food that, you know, makes you feel good right. and put something in your belly kind of thing. So very, very cool. Um, where on the internet can they get people find you? You can follow me on Instagram at School Nutrition RD, and it's the same handle on Facebook. You can visit the website, www.schoolnutritiondietitian.com. Oop, that was easy. Well, look, thank you so much, Diary, for being here. Thank you for your time, for your energy, and for bringing such a unique spin to first and experiences. Because I'm thinking, now I want to start thinking a lot more about my food. Like, I think about it now, but like, oh, yeah. Huh. You know, like, is that, well, I can't tell you, not, no, I know it's going to be close to the show, of course. And, you know, y'all, y'all love it. So just listen. <laughs> <laughs> when ends up happening is I for the past month with all the travel have not been eating well and can tell how significantly different I feel mm. and how I'm performing and how I'm being and so the thing is like oh but you've lost weight I, I, I. it's the food it right. is the food it's changed how I slept levels of irritability so I'm like okay I'm going back to my salads and my veggies and my fruits and stuff Yes, as the foundation because I still eat my cake pound cake cornbread got some cornbread downstairs now as you should <laughs> Okay, amen, because that's the Southern in me. But yeah, but again, very cool for you to share. And thank you for, you know, your wisdom and wishing you nothing but the best and all that lies ahead. Thank you so much for having me on. And I love this project and I'm excited to share this with other people. Oh, hugs, hearts. <laughs> we'll talk to you okay, soon. Bye-bye. Did you go mm, at any point during this session? If so, then go ahead and subscribe. Then uplift friends, colleagues, and students by sharing the show. Also, don't miss out on exclusive insights that I only share via email by joining the First Gen family at www.thepurposeprofessor.com forward slash family. I know I said a whole lot, so I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. Now, until the next time, don't forget to be resilient, authentic, and intentional in all that you do. And no matter what, keep pressing forward. <laughs>